0: I don't wanna go to Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Welcome to Lasso Lessons. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Kathy Buckman. Before we jump into the recap, We should discuss the title of this episode, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea. Now, Richmond is going to Chelsea for an important game, and the Eurostar Zaba may be going to Chelsea as a player. And finally, Roy is returning to Chelsea, the team of his starring days, before he left for Richmond to finish out his career. But the way the title is punctuated clearly is a reference to Elvis Costello's 1978 song. You'll remember that in an episode in the previous season, Coach Beard claimed to be Declan Aloysius' Patrick McManus which is Elvis Costello's sort of real name.
1: We are always going to be picking up on the Elvis Costello references.
0: Is Elvis still your best concert yet?
1: I think I will say that for now, but I realize that there's no such thing, really, as
0: a best concert. Just recently saw Pavement. Man, they rock. They totally rock. So the scene starts out with glamorous shots of Keely's new office sign, her pink boots, all to a mashup of Pumple Moose's lovely day, good as hell. And we have Barbara. You'll remember we met her in the last episode. Keeley's CFO, put there by investors to kind of keep an eye on her, instructing her not to go overtime on the commercial that Keeley's making. It's hard for Keeley. She really wants to produce a good commercial. She also wants to throw a picnic to loosen up the office. But... Barbara is quite skeptical that this will work. Turns out that most of the staff in the office have apparently worked previously with Barbara, probably in another one of the investors' companies. Healy will at some point turn to Ted, who recommends doing something outside of work, like an escape room, which is sort of standard. I've been to an escape room for work. How about you, Kathy?
1: I never have. I will say that we are going to talk about this later when we get to the themes. You know, what can you do when... You want to loosen up with your colleagues. And even more importantly,
0: like, why does Keeley want to loosen up with her colleagues? So the escape room experience in my experience, is I just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I had one like kind of flash of insight, but like breaking down the codes and so forth. Fortunately, I had two computer science geniuses around who um, were able to figure it all out. Back in Rebecca's office, we discovered that Trent Crim and we'll remember that he left his job at the Independent at the end of season two, has asked to follow the club around for a book. And this, by the way, is another way the season is perhaps influenced by the book that Beard was reading in episode one, The Miracle of Castel di Sangro. In that book, Joe McGinnis, longtime reporter, follows a scrappy soccer club in small town Italy. And the book is pretty open about the tension that his reporting causes amongst the team, its coach, its manager, and its owner. In fact, a lot of ways, that's what the book's about. And this anticipates some of the challenges that Trent is going to run into. It's a comic scene because while Rebecca claims that she loves the idea to Trent's face, as Ted is asked to agree to it, she and Higgins clearly are signaling him not to do it. Ted, of course, he's going to be open to this.
1: So I have had the experience at a previous employer of somebody who is a reporter wanting to write a book about my employer. And I've also had the experience of helping to project manage a book that my employer was commissioning to be written about the company. And so I've seen this from all sides. This is a fraught undertaking. Whenever you create a single story about an organization and then put it out there into the world, a lot of people are going to start to get a little nervous about what that might end up being.
0: We also discovered that the Eurofinam Zava is leaving the Italian club Juventus. He wants to join the EPL because his wife binged on the office and she wants to live in England. Why that show would want you to move to London is a good question, but this leads to some confusion on Ted's part about the American versus the British office, which Ted calls a (laughs) pre-make. And I thought it was really interesting. This is coming right after the scenes of Keeley's office, which we have previously noted has a British The Office feel to them. Zava is a bit of a diva, they note, playing for 14 teams in 15 years, leaving behind nothing but chaos and trophies. So Rebecca is skeptical until Higgins mentions that West Ham is interested in him, which comically turns Rebecca on a dime. And Trent being Trent even more comically punctures this by noting exactly what's happening that they're pursuing a Mercurial, overly expensive player to get back at Rupert. After the meeting, Keely runs awkwardly into Jamie in the hallway. Remember that towards the end of season two, he had declared his continuing love for her. And then Roy. Isaac correctly reads their body language as indicating that they've broken up, much to Jamie's surprise. In a great scene, Jamie will try to empathize with Roy, but Roy reads this as Jamie actually looking to go out with Keely. And... I don't know. He might be partly right. I don't know how you read this scene, Kathy. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous. Jamie promises not to say anything, but the rumor spreads anyway. And to the team's disbelief, as per Phoebe's Roy nieces as well, probably our own disbelief, that it was Roy who broke up with Keeley. It just doesn't seem right. And in a cascade of revelation, Ted tells the team that Zaba may be joining and that Trent is writing a book. Roy, however makes it clear in no uncertain terms that no one on the team should speak to Trent. And oh, by the way, the scene in which he makes this pronouncement, you really want to watch Jamie, or rather Phil Dunster, the actor who plays Jamie in the scene. I've heard Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy, talk about how hard it can be for the two of them to get through scenes. And in this scene, as Roy bellows and smashes, which is very much, if you've seen Brett Goldstein on any talk shows, he's actually a soft-spoken, seemingly sweet kind of guy you can see Phil is really having a hard time keeping it together. He's laughing pretty openly. Sure enough, though, the team falls in line, refusing to engage with Trent. On the set of the ad that Keely is producing, she meets an old friend, Shandy, who after a marriage to a footballer and a divorce is back to modeling, acting, whatever. She's impressed that Keely has made it out by herself, not with the help of a footballer. Keely, looking out for her friend, brings her into the company, much to Barbara's disbelief and disapproval. She basically dismisses Shandy, dismisses her qualifications for such a job. When Keeley goes to set Barbara straight, she notices the number of snow globes that Barbara has collected. We discover that Barbara has gathered them over the many years when the firm has sent her from company to company, minding all these various companies that they've invested in, clearly. Of course, this allows Keeley to see that Barbara, too, Alan Insider, in some ways, is is an outsider in others, but one who clearly holds value for the company nonetheless.
1: Yeah, Uh, I'm going to have a lot to say about this scene. I think this is an important scene for the themes we're talking about today.
0: What this reminded me a bit of was the character played by Jared Harris in Mad Men. The British ad agency ships them all around the globe to cover whatever new company One other side note here, right in the middle of this collection of snow globes, very prominently, is a snow globe with a blue windmill that is labeled Amsterdam. And you'll remember that in the last episode in the airport, we hear an announcement that a flight from Amsterdam has been delayed. And we noted that the third season of Ted Lasso had been delayed at least partly due to filming in the Netherlands. I think this is another potential Easter egg. I think that's exactly (laughs) what this is. Zava, meanwhile, is playing hard to get. Doesn't want to meet with Richmond, but maybe joining Chelsea. Higgins basically says, at least he's not playing for Rupert at West Ham. And Chelsea, who, by the way, just in the real world, finished a lackluster year in the EPL, is Richmond's first opponent of the season. At halftime, when Trent comes into the locker room and the normal fall falls over the team, Ted pulls Roy aside, insists that he allow Trent in. Roy then pulls Trent aside, and reads to him from a story Trent had written years prior upon Roy's debut in the league. Trent had written a very critical story. He was only 17. And remember that Ted was 16 when his father killed himself. So they both had these very traumatic experiences in their late adolescence. Trent explains that he was young, being edgy, trying to make a name for himself. In some ways, more like Roy than Roy understood.
1: Yeah, I see this as a really important scene, and I plan to come back to
0: this one, too. Zava comes to the game, and Rebecca tells the story of Rupert's seduction of her. After seeing Rupert similarly sweet-talking Zava, she says she can do it too. I love that on her way to talk to Zava, she runs into Rupert. And you remember in the season's first episode that we noted that West Ham, Rupert's new club now, and Nate's new home of sorts, there is a distinctly Death Star feel. And here too, Rupert's wearing this insanely long coat, and as he switches down the hallway and the coat sweeps behind him, it does look like Darth Vader from behind, this cape flowing, minus the helmet, of course.
1: Yeah, there is definitely something about a cape. And I think Darth Vader's cape is one of the most famous in cinema. So I buy it. I think it's a reference.
0: She does approach protava at the urinal. He's not surprisingly a no-hands kind of guy. And rather than sweet-talk him, she very much challenges him, what Keeley will call sour yell. You're not as good as you tell everyone. You're overrated. You're overpaid. Subsequently, at the signing ceremony with Chelsea, Zava doesn't sign and announces that he will play for Richmond. We finish back in the Richmond clubhouse and Roy tells a bit of a lengthy story about his final days at Chelsea, how he realized he could no longer keep up how he wished maybe that he could have stayed there and just enjoyed himself instead of fleeing for Richmond. But he says, I'm not that kind of guy to which Ted responds, not yet. And we finish actually with a long shot of Ted taking that in and thinking all to Andrew Bird. Great recap,
1: Mike. There is a lot in that one. We will revisit many of those moments.
0: I actually cut a significant number of things out. I didn't talk at all about Rebecca's mom. There's a bunch of threads we'll have to pick up in further episodes. But yes, this is one of those ones that's just stuffed full of various threads that are followed up, that are started, that even complete themselves in the course of one episode. So hats off again to the incredible economical writing of the Ted Lasso staff.
1: Okay. So I bet you're wondering what themes is Kathy going to talk about this time?
0: That's why we're here today, Kathy.
1: I see two themes here in this episode, and they're both connected to the idea of being new. So no matter where you are in your professional career, there's always the possibility that you may end up somewhere where you are new, maybe in a new role or in a new organization. And we all know that being new includes some challenges. So on the one hand, we have Keeley, she is making a fresh professional start as a new leader, and there are a number of characters in this episode as we see that are starting anew in their career. So I want to talk about both of those.
0: Great. Would you tell us about Keeley first?
1: Keeley, as I said, is making a new professional start as a new leader, and so she's got a double new going on here. What challenge of being new? that we see in this episode for Keely is her struggles with workplace culture. So company culture is a bit ineffable, but it is in large part about the tone and manner of how employees interact in the workplace. And Keely, I think has a pretty strong idea of what kind of tone and culture she'd like. She wants her company to have a fun, open, casual culture. This sadly is out of step with her coworkers who are, in contrast, dour, closed, and formal. So let's talk a little bit about where culture comes from. In general, culture can take on the shape of the founder in many ways. So if you want to think about some examples here, famously, Steve Jobs really valued aesthetics. And the company that he founded, Apple, is a design-forward organization in their products and even in their architecture. For another example, Jeffrey Skilling, you may remember that name. He was the CEO of Enron. He was a pretty intense guy. And so Enron's culture was reportedly pretty aggressive, individualistic, and high risk. I think we can all kind of reflect on how company culture sometimes does reflect the founder or the mission in some fundamental way. Mike, have you experienced this?
0: Sure, I'll talk about a testing company that I worked at for several years. And it's a place that really reflected, I think, the parsimonious uh, nature of its start. It also reflected a couple other things. So many of the people came up through test prep that the presentation skills, the ability to hold an audience, imagine trying to hold the attention of a bunch of high school juniors about the SAT, that ability was always on Track it and really, I think, made me a much better presenter. I just had to come up to the bar. I never reached it, but I had to keep coming up. It was, as a test press company, full of people who were really smart and very knowledgeable. And so the central sort of cultural event of the year was the trivia contest. Oh, the trivia contest. You wouldn't believe it. And this tournament went on for weeks and weeks. It was this very serious knockout style tournament. Now, I always thought I was a pretty good player of trivia. What do you think? You played Trivial Pursuit with me. You think I know some trivia, Kathy?
1: Oh, yeah. You're not bad.
0: I always thought I was pretty good. And actually, in grad school, there were a couple people I circled who had been on Jeopardy, and I was able to hold my own with them. I was not at the level of these folks at all. I have to say, I was several notches down from the best of them. I was like the guy who came off the bench. In some ways, that was a new start for me. I thought I was super good at trivia. No. But I think that also was indicative of what was valued at the company, which was knowing a lot, being able to present it really in a compelling, fast-paced way, and being able to take the reins and run with things. There's an entrepreneurial spirit as well. And I have to say, it shaped me in ways that made it harder for me to enter companies that were more bureaucratic, um, that relied less on, here's my deck, and more on... Let me walk you through what you're thinking on this first. I think that when you've been really trained in one culture, the culture imbues you, and you really work it into how you think about the world and how you trust and how you behave. You have to relearn when you go someplace new.
1: So the test prep company that really values mastering a body of knowledge and recalling it doesn't surprise me. So that's a pretty good example of what a company culture might value that would be quite specific to that company. Let's get back to Keeley here. So you would think then that any company that Keeley would found would be colorful and happy and bright with a lot of people who would talk really excitedly with each other all the time. Culture taking on the shape of the founder, you know, you might imagine it might be something that just happens. And Keeley has this strong vibe. You should think this shouldn't be hard for her. But she is up against a powerful counterforce, and that is that the personnel that surround her have been supplied to her by her financial backers. They are not the people that she has chosen. So this is a problem. She sees it. She wants to fix it. And the solutions that she and Ted banter about, like picnics and escape rooms, are they enough? Is that going to fix the problem? I'm going to say probably not. Focusing on culture when leaders really choose to do it, it often includes a lot of hard work, like creating a vision or culture statement, <laughs> establishing guidelines, encouraging the desired behaviors. Many leaders say this takes up quite a lot of their time and focus. So I don't think one picnic is really going to fix it. And it might not even be the thing that's needed at this moment. But ultimately, I'm not really sure what Keeley should do here. In the long term, she may have to address this issue directly and she may need to look into hiring different people who are a better fit for the culture that she wants. And this is what brings me to Shandy. When Keeley hires Shandy, she is establishing a cultural norm. And it's not, okay, we hire our friends on a whim, which is what it looks like. She's actually doing something different. With this hire, she's indicating that her new company is going to Make opportunities for talented people who have relevant expertise, even if they don't fit the stereotype, even if they don't have exactly the resume you would expect. And so, I think that Shandy is a really interesting hire, and she could be a good hire from the point of view of the sort of culture that Keely wants to create.
0: Actually, buttek, what is it that she brings? Because I, I thought it was just she's hiring a friend because she feels lonely at this company.
1: Oh, yeah, good question. As you may recall, in the commercial shoot. There's this question of how do we make it look like there are more people in this room? And there's an expensive solution, which is let's just go hire 100 more people. But Shandy's idea is that you use a strobe light and then you do something in post-production and it's going to
0: make the room look like it's more full. She's pragmatic, like she's able to cut through. She's no nonsense.
1: Yeah, exactly. And for somebody who's probably been on the set of a lot of commercial shoots, she's absorbed some of the technique and she's able to bring it to bear.
0: Well, you convinced me. I thought she'd mainly been hired because Keeley was lonely, needed a friend. But I see now, I see your point.
1: Yeah, it's all about culture. The other foundational culture challenge that Keeley faces is wanting to work better with her CFO, Barbara. And this is really a top team issue. If the top team at a new organization is dysfunctional, it's going to create a lot of dysfunction for the whole enterprise and all types of problems can result. So this is a real problem that Keeley needs to address. So I think this kind of brings us back to what Ted was up against when he first joined Richmond. And in season one, we talked a lot about how Ted could build trust when he was new and needed to work better with Rebecca and the rest of the team. We used something called the trust equation to talk about the steps that Ted could take to build that trust. As you may recall, we said he had the opportunity to build credibility by showing people what he knows. He had the opportunity to establish reliability by being consistent and doing what he says he's going to do. And he could also foster intimacy by getting to know people as people. So now that we're looking at Keely and her new organization, I think this is a great moment to revisit the trust equation and see how she uses some of it to connect better with Barbara. So like Ted, Keely is... Lacking in credibility with Barbara, I believe, and she's probably even lacking on reliability with Barbara. So, what Keely does is she leans into that third option, which is increasing intimacy. And she does two things, I think, that work. The first is she gives Barbara very direct feedback on how she treats Shandy in that scene we were talking about before. And by doing that, she gives Barbara a window into Keely's values what Keeley stands for as a leader. And I think what she's doing here is she's showing that she has values for respectful interactions, for kindness, and also that she's the kind of leader who is going to address issues immediately and directly when she sees them. The second thing though that happens in that same scene is that Keeley looks over Barbara's shoulder and sees that collection of snow globes and she asks about them. She gets curious. And when Barbara gives the answer about how she managed to collect so many snow globes, Keely learned something important about Barbara. Barbara never sticks around in any organization very long. Barbara's been a lot of places, and we imagine that might be kind of a lonely thing for Barbara. So Keely learns about Barbara, learns a little more about her story, and maybe even starts to feel some empathy for her, which could help the relationship.
0: Okay, that's great on Steely. I think you said you thought there were some other folks who were starting a new act in an ongoing career.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That is the second dimension of being new that I feel like this episode sets up for us. I really really think there's a trio of characters in this episode who are facing the opportunity to have a bit of a professional restart, and in each case, I think they are shaping this new act in their career in part by reacting against something that they just don't like anymore or that isn't working for them anymore. So the first character I want to talk about is Trent. Trent has left his newspaper, and now he's looking to do something that's different and we would assume more meaningful to him. It seems like he's trying to atone for, as he says, looking for the worst in people to make a name for myself which was what he used to do with his sports recording. Maybe writing a book will be a way to trade less in these kinds of easy stereotypes and insults and create more multidimensional depictions of people in sports and do a better job with how he describes people.
0: Yeah, just one note there. It's hard not to see that some of the influence, some of the inspiration for this change in Trent came from Ted, came from his coverage of Ted came from seeing Ted trying something different than he'd been accustomed to and that it it actually worked. Yeah. (laughs) That it actually led to success.
1: I think that's absolutely right. I think whenever you're talking about characters that are contemplating change in Ted Lasso, it's connected to Ted in some way. All right. So the second character I want to talk about is Zava. So much to our surprise, or maybe not, Zava decides to join Richmond. He bites at the idea of playing for a team where his contribution will be more visible. It's one thing to join a rich, high-performing team and make them even higher performing. But what Zaba seems to be doing here in making this choice is he's joining a team where it's not clear that he can obviously turn this thing around. And so it's possible that he wants to play for a bad team to prove that he's not overhyped
0: and overpaid. That's the case that Rebecca makes to him, right? Exactly.
1: Yes. I think she does the opposite of Rupert and doesn't sweet talk him, but I think she essentially issues a challenge. Like, if you're so good, you should be able to make us good. And this is not something that I imagine Zava has thought a lot about. For this new act, it's going to be something maybe a little different for him. The third character of my trio is, of course, Roy. In this episode, we see Roy reflecting on his first act with sadness. He had one of the greatest jobs, being a professional athlete, but he wasn't able to enjoy himself. And I think in part because of the pressure that he put on himself. And reflecting on that, as he goes into the next chapter of his professional career, where he's going to try on coaching, it makes us wonder, what is this next act going to be about for him? Will the angry Roy Kent evolve and find something that's deeper meaning for him? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding
0: out. This is Ted Lasso, so I think if you wanted to make a bet, there's probably some learning growing ahead for him and for all these characters, maybe even Zaba. We'll see.
1: Yeah, he's the least likely to learn and grow, but who knows?
0: All right, terrific. So that's our take on season three, episode two of Ted Lasso. I don't want to go to Chelsea. Up next, we'll be discussing season three, episode three, four, five, one.